0: Hey, Tom Aaron here. You know what I like? Cookies. You know what I don't like? Cookies that are set by my browser without my permission. But why do cookies even exist? Well, we did an episode of Know a Little More about that, so we know not everybody gets to hear all the episodes. Here it is again, just in case you miss it, About Cookies, originally released July 15th, 2021. We haven't added anything since the original episode begin about mm, cookies. Cookies, they sound delicious, but I'm told by my friends in the techno that they are evil and must be purged. But that nice shopping site I go to really wants me to agree to use them. Are you confused? Don't be. Let's help you know a little more about cookies. Cookies for browsers all started because of online shopping, or at least the desire to provide online shopping. A cookie in this instance is a small piece of data stored on a device by a web browser to help websites remember things between a user's visits to them. Something usually referred to as stateful information. That means it can remember the state the website was in the last time you pulled it up in the browser. State, as in, look at the state of your room, Tom. You need to clean up right now. That kind of state. You will also hear them called a web cookie Internet cookie, browser cookie, and most properly, an HTTP cookie, but usually it's just called a cookie. And in the past few years, it's been referred to with swear words as it can be used to track people. It doesn't need to be used to track people, and there are a lot of legitimate and useful things cookies do that aren't bad. Still, most people know about cookies from a headline screaming about ad tracking or a pop up asking you to approve all the cookies and please don't read the small letters too carefully. But like most tools, a cookie is neither good nor bad. It all depends on what it is used for. Keeping you logged in is one of the more useful things it can do, for instance. Preserving a record of all the links you clicked on is not one of its more popular uses. But in the end, it's just a little piece of data that a website asks a browser to store away so it can read it the next time a page from that domain is loaded in the browser. But first, why is it called a cookie? The term actually predates the web. Early Unix programmers referred to short, opaque packets of data passed between systems as magic cookies. Think of it like a coat check ticket. The ticket, on its own, doesn't mean anything. It's passed to the owner while the coat is held for them, and then when they hand in the ticket, they get their coat back. So why not call these little data packets tickets or coat checks? The answer may be lost in the mists of 1970s Unix programmers. Wikipedia cites the earliest reference to a magic cookie in the 1979 man page for the FSEq routine in the C-standard library. They were most often used as identifying tokens, a way for a networked program to know it's talking to the same system it talked to before. It came to the web and browsers, thanks to Netscape programmer Lou Montulli in June 1994. MCI, yeah, the big 1990s telecom, was developing a way for customers to buy things and check out online, but it didn't want to store all the transaction data on its servers. MCI's Vint Cerf, yes, the internet-inventing Vint Cerf, and John Clenson. Yes, the FTP-inventing John Clenson went to Netscape to see if there was a way to store the transaction state on the user's computer, that way thousands of abandoned carts didn't pile up on MCI's servers, among other things. Montuli and John John Andrea, who would later become head of machine learning at Apple, wrote the spec for a shopping cart that used a small data token to save the transaction state between web visits. And web visits here, we're talking about going from one page to another. It could happen right away, but the browser had no way to know between visits from one page to another on the same domain what the state was. So this little token would do that. Montuli apparently suggested calling it a cookie after the Unix Magic Cookies. And version 0.9 beta of Netscape included support for cookies when it was released on October 13th, 1994. A cookie is set with a set cookie line in the header. Every subsequent request to that server causes the browser to send back all previous stored cookies with that server's domain and path. A cookie's actual structure, the structure of the data is very simple. It has a name, it has a value, that's usually something set by the people creating the cookie and a number of optional attributes. The name is so the browser keeps the cookie straight. The value is so the server knows what the cookie refers to. You can pack a lot of information about what it refers to, you know, like shopping cart items, etc. The attributes have a few different purposes. The most common attribute is the domain and path. A website can only set a domain name for itself. TomMerritt.com cannot set a cookie with the domain name VeronicaBelmont.com. A cookie can also include an expires and max age attribute if used this tells the browser when to delete the cookie and there's the secure and http only attribute when that's set this says the cookie can only be accessed with encrypted connections cookies can be as large as 4096 bytes so again that value you can you can put a lot of things in that value and without a cookie each visit to a web page is as if for the first time even if you're clicking on a link from a page on the same domain, the next link would have no way of knowing that's you, really. Even though the cookie was set up for shopping carts, the first use of a cookie was a kind of tracking. Netscape set a cookie on its own website to see if a visitor had already visited the Netscape site. So Netscape supported cookies starting in October 1994, and Internet Explorer added cookie support in October 1995. Originally, Cookies were always accepted and users were not notified. They just happened in the background. But the Financial Times published an article about them on February 12th, 1996, raising awareness, and they became the subject of their first, but not last, U.S. Federal Trade Commission hearings in 1996. Meanwhile, the Internet Engineering Task Force had been debating two official ways of saving state in browsers. One proposal from Brian Bellendorf and another from David Crystal, a working group that was headed by Crystal and Netscape's Lou Montulli decided to use the Netscape spec for cookies instead of either one of those proposals. Now, that group anticipated the problem of third-party cookies. Third-party cookies is that situation where the domain name in the cookie data does not match the domain name of the page you're on because there's an element from the third-party site embedded in the page, like like an ad. You're on TomMerritt.com, but let's say there's an ad from VeronicaBelmont.com embedded. So VeronicaBelmont.com is technically serving the ad embedded in TomMerritt.com. If that ad sets a cookie, that's a third-party cookie. The cookie was technically set in red by the third-party element, which was served from a different place than the page it was included in, so it didn't violate the rules about servers and domain attributes matching, but it was a you know, nice way of tracking. This was a cool new trick for advertisers. Let's say you visited infoseek.com, and there was a banner ad shown there for linkexchange.com. Linkexchange.com would set a cookie to show that its ad was delivered. Then you head over to Excite.com, because hey, it's 1996. And there's another banner ad from LinkExchange. LinkExchange sets another cookie. But even though you're on Excite.com, LinkExchange can see that a cookie from it is already in the browser from when you are at Infoseek.com. It now knows that this user has seen two LinkExchange ads, one at Infoseek, one at Excite. They could also know lots more, like which websites were listed before they saw the ad, and even other things. The working group realized the privacy implications of a third party cookie, so, in the RFC published on cookies in February 1997, third party cookies were either not to be allowed, or if allowed, not enabled by default. And here's where everything could have been different. If the browser makers had followed that, you would have to approve every cookie, and always would have. But you see, head companies had already picked up on Netscape's cookie idea and were using it for third-party tracking already. (sighs) So instead of following the official RFC, Netscape and IE ignored it and kept letting advertisers set third-party cookies. That would slowly change over the years, but it's been a big fight. There are, however, other cookies... Besides third-party tracking cookies, you'd be forgiven for not realizing that based on some of the rhetoric out there, but there are. Here here are the types of cookies you can have. A session cookie. A session cookie doesn't have an expiration date or max age, so it, by default, expires as soon as you close the browser. Now, you may be saying, wait, so those third-party cookies expire? Yeah, but they usually set the expiration date way in the future. Uh, A session cookie doesn't have any expiration date, so you turn off your browser, you close your browser, it disappears. That can be useful for keeping track of things while you're on a site that neither you nor the site will care about later, like uh, pagination in a sequential story, maybe. A persistent cookie is more common. It's stored between browsing sessions. These are sent every time you visit the site listed in the domain and path attribute every time you use the browser. And yes, they can be used for tracking, of course, but can also be used for keeping you logged in between browsing sessions. They can also store preferences like a user theme or other preferences settings. Modern browsers also support something called a same-site cookie meant to stop cross-site forgery requests. It has three attributes called strict, lax, or none. Strict only sends a cookie to the exact same site that set the cookie. That way, the cookie can't be forged to say it comes from a domain that it did not. Lax lets a cookie be set when on a different domain, but only with a GET request. That just makes sure it's coming from the domain it says it is in a less secure way. But this lets a third-party cookie be set without as much risk of forgery. The none attribute is the most permissive. It lets the cookie be set from anywhere, but most browsers do require the secure attribute to be set on a same site equals none cookie. This lets you do really easy third-party tracking without having to change how you get the cookie in your code, but the encryption requirement helps ensure it comes from where it says it does, though it's not as foolproof as lax and certainly not as foolproof as strict. There are a couple of other terms you may have encountered out there. A super cookie used to be, uh, maybe not comma, but used to be a thing people were more concerned about. It's a cookie that can be set for an entire top-level domain. Like you could have a cookie served anytime a .com is loaded in your browser. That could be used for a lot of malicious things. Browsers block these now, uh, but new top-level domains are regularly created, so older browsers may not have an entirely up-to-date list. And a zombie cookie, or ever cookie, is stored in odd locations like Flash, and if it sees it has been deleted... In the browser's cache, it copies itself back in. This used to be common in Flash, but has declined with the decline of Flash, though HTML5 web storage can be used for them. And speaking of web storage, the existence of web storage API, IndexedDB, JSON web tokens, HTTP authentication, and more mean that there are a lot of technologies that do some of the things, like session management and login, that cookies have been used for. In fact, the original reason for cookies, shopping carts? mostly done server side now because I leave all that valuable information about you on your computer, not theirs. Because of the prevalence of using cookies to track users, so they can be served more effective ads. Multiple laws around cookie use have also been created, including Europe's GDPR and California's Consumer Privacy Act, among others. Regulations around cookies differ from region to region, but in general, they require a site to notify that it is using cookies, allow users to opt out Of receiving some or all cookies and allow users to use the service without receiving cookies, usually with an exception for required cookies like login. So now you know what all the fuss is about. It's a little piece of data stored in your browser with little bits of data about you. In other words, now you know a little more about HTTP cookies.